This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Hello and welcome to the Bunker Daily. I'm Sean Pattenden. I want my, I want my, I want my BBC. This year, the BBC, our longest standing UK broadcaster and national institution, celebrates its 100th anniversary. From landmark firsts, such as televising King George V's broadcast on the BBC Empire Service in 1932, showing the Olympic Games in 1948, Queen Elizabeth II coronation in 53, obviously to Live Aid in 85, News 24 and iPlayer. As a public service broadcaster, the BBC has consistently delivered. But it's nothing new in that the BBC has its detractors. But is the BBC in more peril than ever before? And what can we do about it? Joining us today is Patrick Barwise, Emeritus Professor of Management and Marketing at London Business School. He's also the former chairman of WITCH, Europe's largest consumer organisation, chairman of the Archive of Market and Social Research and much, much more. And he's the co-author alongside culture writer Peter York, of The War Against the BBC, and to give it its full title, How an Unprecedented Combination of Hostile Forces is Destroying Britain's Greatest Cultural Institution and Why You Should Care. Hello, Patrick, and welcome to The Bunker Podcast. It's a pleasure. Now, from the book's introduction, you say, the BBC is a stabilising presence. Usually, we take it for granted. But before very long, we may no longer be able to do that unless, as a country, we start taking action. <laughs> what do you mean by this? Well, I think that, the, uh, as you said in your, in your intro, there have always been critics uh, of the BBC, particularly uh, among politicians. There's a great quote from an academic in Australia talking about the ABC, which is the Australian equivalent, actually based on the BBC, who says all governments loathe the ABC equally, but some <laughs> loathe it more equally than others. So right now we've got conservative governments very, very hostile. Um, but it's also the case that the only prime minister under whom the BBC lost both uh, its director general, the chief executive, and its chairman was Tony Blair, who was a Labour prime minister. Uh, I think that sort of politically goes way back. But there are also people who criticise the BBC because of, of either political or, or commercial vested interest, and most notoriously, Rupert Murdoch. We will come on to him. I want to ask you, though, firstly, why should we care about the BBC? What's it ever done for us? Uh, well, I think that um, it, it, that's a very good question because it's such a big part of everyday life that we take it for granted. Um, even today, when, you know, there's, there's so much more competition, you know, from Netflix and all of that... The average British adult consumes the BBC's services, I mean TV or radio or online, two and a half hours a day. There is no other product or service brand which is sort of comparable to that. So this whole sort of narrative that you know, we no longer need the BBC because, you know, people don't consume it, you know, is just not true. If you measure 
the weekly household reach, in other words, the percentage of British households who use the BBC services in a week, it was 99% in 2015. It might be, mm-hmm, quotes, mm-hmm. only 98% now. Also, if you ask the British people, the representative sample of the British people, um, which one news source do you turn to for impartial news mm-hmm, or news mm-hmm. you trust? The BBC completely dominates on 50%. Yes. Number two is ITV on 9%. And I was surprised by that. Uh, well, indeed. Yeah. That, that's, that's the whole point. Yeah, <laughs> that it is a trusted source because if we are to believe some of the press, it is not a trusted source and none of what it is saying has anything but bias. I mean, it's really interesting that people do go to it. In that you're way. absolutely right. And so the press you're talking about, uh, within the national press in the UK, there is a skew towards the right. There are more right-leaning papers and left-leaning papers. But... Mm. That same question about, you know, who do you turn to, uh, which one source would you turn to for news you trust or for impartial news, uh, none of the, what I call SMET, the Sun, the Mail, the Express, the Telegraph, um, <laughs> none of them got more than 1%. And that's right down there with, with you know, social media. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows there's a lot of nonsense on social media. So um, if we say, why should we care? Um, number one is, we consume the BBC services on a quite extraordinary scale. Number two Mm -hmm. is in a world of growing disinformation, some of it very deliberately spread by state actors. You know, of course, there will always be uh, accusations of bias. And if you look at the uh, views of the whole British public, what you do find is there is a spread. And so people who are older more socially conservative and right-leaning do think that the BBC is excessively woke and left-leaning. But people who are younger (laughs) Mm. and more socially liberal think the BBC leans to the right uh, and is very much part of the establishment. And the evidence is that, if anything, they're right. That that, uh, the, the... Formal content analysis research done done by Cardiff University found that, if anything, there is a very, very slight bias towards the government of the day, but that's a little bit more actually under a Conservative government than under the Labour government, which is which is the opposite right. of what the SMET newspapers say. Yes, absolutely, yes. So initial BBC funding was provided by a royalty from the sale of radio sets, and that was soon to be replaced by an annual radio licence fee. So you say that that is one of the reasons why people have contested the BBC at the, at the start. <laughs> it's a licence that you need to have. Why does that come in for such criticism? Why does that seem like an old business model? Well, I think that in general, people don't say that, you know, a tax should be simply like a price, that um, people who don't have children shouldn't pay any taxes towards the cost of schools. I mean, <laughs> we, and we, mm. we, we live in a world in which uh, people are paying far, far more than the licence fee for public services they don't use. The BBC is paid for universally, and crucially, it is used on a massive scale universally. And so this is a sort of problem which is a theoretical problem, but it's not actually a real-world problem. If we say, why is it? I mean, when Peter York and I started this book, uh, we started the research on this book five years ago, then the title of the book, The War Against the BBC, you know, a few people said, you know, aren't you exaggerating it? Interestingly, nobody says that now. 
Former Culture Secretary Nadine Doris, yes. <laughs> who I know you have been on TV with. Mm. She doesn't help, does she? She indeed talks in terms of conflict regarding the BBC. Um, one of her quotes is, I don't want to go to war with you. This is her addressing the BBC. But come and tell me, how are you going to change? I wonder how has Dory's successor, Michelle Donnellan, approached the institution? Is it much different? Is it still framed within a war context? Uh, well, it's, it's too soon to say. Um, right. But uh, the, I think she has a bit of a track record of, as a culture warrior. But uh, the constant attacks on the BBC's impartiality, uh, they've actually been extraordinarily unsuccessful at persuading the British public not to trust the BBC. They may have been marginally successful at making the BBC more cautious in criticising mm-hmm, the government. Mm-hmm. And that, That's again, is point, sort of yeah. not uh, good for our democracy. There is only one real threat to the future of the BBC, and that is the funding cuts. And the funding cuts are much, much deeper than most of the public have realised at this point, partly because the BBC, you know, in my view, is far too cautious at pointing these facts out. So Mm -hmm. in real terms, that is adjusting for general inflation, the Mm -hmm. BBC's public funding is now nearly 30% less than it was in 2010, and Nadine Doris, in January this year, okay, froze the licence fee for two years from April 2022. Mm. And, uh, you know, the current inflation rate is of order 9%. So that yes, will be yes. a further 17% cut in the BBC's mm-hmm. real funding. Now, the context mm-hmm. of this is ever-increasing competition, including from extremely well-funded big US tech companies like Netflix and, and, and Amazon mm-hmm. and so on, and also uh, an increase in the inflation-adjusted cost of, of many types of programme and also of distribution, particularly uh, anything which involves sort of expensive talent. Uh, so mm-hmm. some of the presenters are now leaving the BBC to be not only better paid elsewhere, but also not have how much they're paid published in the Daily Mail, <laughs> right? Yes. Theories, and probably to have more editorial freedom as well, right? Mm. Uh, something which I think people don't quite appreciate is for at least the next 15 years, the BBC is going to have to support both digital broadcast networks and also mm-hmm. online distribution. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's actually got going to have high distribution costs riding two horses probably for another 15 years or so. But Mm -hmm. the real threat is the funding cuts. Well, let's talk about something that's in the book. Uh, Did the BBC really spend £230,000 on tea in one year? I want your take on that. Oh, they possibly did spend (laughs) £230,000 on tea in one year, but it refers to... Um, an article in the Daily Mail in 2015, the, the way that it was framed, uh, implied it, it spends less than half of the money it gets from the licence fee uh, on programmes. Uh, now, the BBC actually is very successful in the international market at supplementing mm. licence fee income with commercial income, and it does use that to subsidise the licence fee. Mm. But their figure, um, and I think this was... This was as much ignorance as malice behind behind how they got it so very wrong. Mm. With all organisations, you can debate uh, the way you allocate overheads. But, you know, if you take the sort of toughest approach, I forget the exact numbers, but something like 
80% of the BBC, the license fee revenue that the BBC actually gets goes into content, uh, TV, radio, mm-hmm. or online mm-hmm. content. If you include the so-called direct overheads, like, you know, you can't actually make programmes if you don't have studios and equipment, then yes, you yes. get to about 90%, okay? So this was a complete baloney story. What mm. is clearly true, if you talk to anyone from the BBC, they will say there are too many managers, there's too much bureaucracy. And <laughs> if you want to see roughly what it's like, then just watch an episode of W1A. Everyone says it's a grotesque parody of something they all recognise, which is too much caution, too many committees, you know, all of that mm-hmm. stuff. Nevertheless, if, you know, you look at the BBC as we have in the book, where we are really focusing on the external Mm. uh, forces threatening it, mainly the funding cuts, then it is an absolute miracle that it's it's so productive. Can you tell us about Project Kangaroo and why it failed? Uh, Well, Project Kangaroo didn't fail. It was suppressed. So Project Kangaroo was... (laughs) was, uh, Why it was suppressed? It was the um, Public Service Broadcasters Collective um, Mm. first attempt at uh, online television, uh, video on demand, and the Murdoch organisation and uh, some other commercial broadcasters, but mainly Murdoch-led, as they always do, ran a campaign saying this is unfair competition and it will crowd us out. Mm -hmm. Well, that Mm -hmm. left the UK market, which is a pretty attractive market, uh, the, the UK punches above its weight in online markets. Okay, we're, so th- to the Facebooks of this world, we're, we're a pretty big market, important market. Mm. So as a result of, of uh, Project Kangaroo being blocked, that market was then left completely open to the US tech companies for mm-hmm. nine years, I think. Everybody now agrees that was a mistake. Uh, there has never been any convincing evidence that that's the case. Uh, any time it's it's looked at. And there is mm-hmm, some evidence mm-hmm. of the opposite, that when you have uh, innovation clusters where you have lots of people competing uh, mm-hmm. in a small geographical space, uh, then they actually tend to raise each other's game yes, um, and, and, and become yeah. world leaders. And that's, to some extent, what's happened with, with UK broadcasting, with the BBC at its heart. Yes, because we're the second biggest uh, broadcasting exporters, aren't we? We're the second biggest exporters of programs. Obviously, the US is the biggest, but we're the biggest exporters of of formats. And formats formats (laughs) are about creativity. So Mm -hmm. things like Strictly and Bake Off, okay, you'll see that all over the world. Yeah. Um, There's an Orwell quotation by his statue at the BBC, and I quote, if liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. How does this quote relate to due impartiality in the BBC? Well, of course, it means that um, the the BBC's weak link is that governments ultimately control its funding level. Therefore, because we don't have an independent panel, um, that inevitably means that it requires courage. Now, when I say courage, I don't mean the same level of courage as being Mm. a journalist in Russia right now. But this isn't Mm. just a threat, okay? What has has happened to the BBC, and this was mainly the funding deals in 2010 and 2015, 
by, by George Osborne. In 2015, then mm-hmm. George Osborne, the then Chancellor of the Exchequer, mm-hmm. had six secret meetings without any civil servants uh, with either Rupert Murdoch or some of Rupert Murdoch's executives. It was after that that he introduced another highly punitive funding cut on top Mm -hmm, of the punitive mm -hmm. funding cut he'd he'd introduced in 2010. Now, Mm -hmm. part of the reason why the public doesn't know this uh, is that uh, this has been done by uh, so-called salami slicing. In other words, it's it's cutting funding a little bit at a time so that it's... Whereas if in 2010 the BBC's funding had overnight been cut by 30%, then it would have had to shut down some services and there would have been a massive public backlash. Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask, would GB News or anything similar ever be a rival to what we know is the biggest... Um, news broadcasting outlet, which is the BBC? Uh, no, in, in a word, and, and nor has it been. I mean, the, the, the G, <laughs> GB News, I don't think GB yeah. News was ever a serious commercial proposition. I think it was always a political right. culture war uh, proposition. The interesting question is that when the British public is asked um, which uh, sources of news do you trust most, if you were to pick one, then after the BBC... The other sources they trust are ITV and Channel 4 and, mm-hmm. uh, in other words, other broadcasters. And one reason for that, again, something we take for granted in this country, is that broadcast news is regulated to be, quotes, duly impartial. Mm-hmm. You can contrast that with America. Okay, Now, in America, until 1987, network news on, on uh, television had what was it was uh, I think it was actually legislation um, which which was called the fairness doctrine, which said that they had to mm-hmm. cover all the important political issues of the day and they had to cover it in a fair and balanced way and then mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Reagan's uh, government or the Federal Communications uh, Commission abolished that. It was only after that that Murdoch's people were able to launch Fox News. Mm. Okay, Mm -hmm. and uh, Fox News, which, uh, you know, has had a disastrous effect uh, on on the the, the US. I've never known the United States to be as polarized as it is right now. Mm -hmm. Now, there is some research done by Zurich and Antwerp universities Mm -hmm. comparing the publics in 18 countries and looking at their resilience to online disinformation. And uh, what they found was that uh, the most resilient publics were in Northern Europe. They were the Nordics, closely followed by the UK. But the US was in a league of its own. The US was just... Wow. Okay. And when they looked at what are the reasons for this, they found a number of factors. One of these was the size of the country. But the other mm. big factor, another big factor they found was the strength of public broadcasting. So the Republicans don't bother to attack PBS and NPR in the US because it's so small. If the BBC weren't so successful, it would not. There would be no war against the BBC. So my last question being, what would a world without the BBC look like? Well, uh, the world without the BBC, I actually did a a research study on this at the Reuters Institute in Oxford. I I think we can pretty much prove that um, even though there's quite wide uncertainty about the exact scenario under all the scenarios, uh, the amount of 
investment in original British programming would be greatly reduced. In other words, the commercial sector would not expand to make up the difference, uh, even if you don't worry about quality and any of that. Um, And uh, so therefore, as viewers and listeners, we'd be worse off. But I think, to me, far more important is that as citizens, we'd be much worse off as well, that... um, the, the government actually commissioned um, an experienced former journalist, she was by then head of an Oxford college, to look at, uh, you know, the future of quality journalism in the UK, which is under pressure, no question, because mm-hmm. of Facebook mm-hmm. and Google taking advertising money away from newspapers. Um, mm-hmm. And, of course, she was lobbied by the Murdoch people to say, well, uh, one, the first thing you should do is... is reduce the funding of the BBC because they keep crowding us out because our local newspapers, you know, our newspapers can't make money online. And she wrote, uh, we simply don't, she didn't accept that argument. She said that would be sort of reducing the very thing we are trying to support, which is Mm. high quality, trusted journalism. So there is a threat, but that threat, and it's already happening, is that the funding of BBC News is being reduced, and that's not just mm-hmm. for the UK. Okay, outside the UK, BBC News has a weekly reach of nearly half a billion and still growing. And ah, in a world okay. and in a world in which so many people are living in countries uh, with authoritarian governments, which try and stop them from understanding the truth, that is arguably the UK's biggest contribution to liberal democracy around the world. So. It would be a catastrophe to have a world with no BBC. Mm-hmm. And on that note, Patrick Barwise, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. The War Against the BBC is in all good bookshops now. Thank you very much. And for those listening, there's a new edition of The Bunker every morning, so please do subscribe and back us on Patreon if you will. Just search Bunker Podcast Patreon for extra goodies. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. The Bunker was presented by Sean Patton, with audio production from me, Robin Lieber. Producer is Jack Gerbertson, assistant producer, Kasia Tomasiewicz. Lead producer is Jacob Jarvis, group editor, Andrew Harrison, and our music is by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>